0: I didn't lose track that the people were the absolute number one asset in that building. So if I ensured that every time that team come in they were motivated, there was high energy, that's gonna ripple out to them performing the best they can in their job well, them delivering that excellent service to the customers.
1: everyone. Welcome to Culture by Design. I have with me today, Paul Phelan, coming to us from the UK. Paul, welcome to the episode. Welcome to the program.
0: It's a pleasure. A pleasure, Tim, to join you, Leader Factor, and uh, yeah, just have a nice conversation about what we do and to connect. Connect on a different level, which is great.
1: Yeah, it is. Let me tell you a little bit. Let me tell everyone a little bit about Paul. He's an award-winning leadership development professional with over 20 years in senior management with both the fashion and automotive retail industry. As a qualified professional across a wide range of industry-leading psychometric tools and along with really what I think is an unconventional and thought-provoking style, and you're gonna hear that as we get into this conversation today. But (laughs) Paul is one of my favorite people in the learning and development space. I would say unconventional is definitely an accurate word, Paul. Is that okay? Is that fair?
0: Look, do you know what? I didn't think of that myself. It was interesting. I got that from feedback from someone that I asked to do. like <laughs> you know, They wanted to do something on LinkedIn, you know, put like a recommendation. And it really hit me. hit me. I was like, I like that word because, yeah, you know, I don't want to just be doing the normal stuff. You know, I like to challenge and challenge me, challenge others. And uh, yeah. I'm happy that unconventional. I will do things that's like.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's possible for you to be conventional. <laughs> I just don't think that's going to happen. No. So, Paul, let's start with you. Mm. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Where did you grow up?
0: Yeah, so for me, um, home was in Bedfordshire in the UK. So it was just me, me, mum, and dad, you know, so uh, no brothers or sisters. So that, that competitive spirit, you know, weren't there. You know, when I met my wife, she had like two brothers, one sister. So it was a real interesting dynamics. But, um, but I suppose, you know what, as, as I grew up, I had lots of friends. You know, my mum and dad were really social. You know, we were always going to see people. We had a big family, uncles, aunties, cousins, you know, so there was always great. So I suppose, you know, the social skills, that I wouldn't mm. have known them were building up slowly in me from you know, kind of ground zero days, really, and upwards. And uh, yeah, and then just went to school, normal. You know, I've got three-tier school over here and, and worked my way up. And I think, you know, early days, I realised that, yeah, maybe the, the full-on academic route wasn't always going to be my path. I, I wanted to get out there and just really start something. I mean, you know, when I was 14, 15, I was out the door at five in the morning doing a paper round. Really? Yeah, I was gone. Were you really? Yeah, oh, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. No, but it fired me up. You know, I was an early bird in the morning, so I just wanted yeah. to get out. And uh, I loved that. I had I already had a bit of responsibility. That the uh, manager of the newspaper shop got me in at five, so I could set up all the paper rounds ready for all the rest of the. The, the girls and the guys to come in and uh, grab their bags and the you loved doing that i loved it 100 it was just like you know there i was i was up early anyway my dad was always up early because he was out the door early so there was obviously something there within our genes and uh yeah there I was five in the morning out and about riding my bike and going to the newspaper shop around the corner and getting getting all the other newspaper guys and girls set up for their day
1: so paul i'm gonna guess that when you were in the classroom you probably got restless and antsy in your chair. Am I getting this right? And that <laughs> you couldn't stay there all day? What was it like for you in high school? I'm just guessing that you were kind of bouncing around and you had a yeah. hard time sitting in your chair.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, there, was, there was definitely a common theme in my school reports. You know, if, if Paul could just compose that energy into his work, you know, he could <laughs> he could achieve some great things. You know, there was a common theme. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, as, as you look back now, you now learn. You know that extraversion was in me. You know, and yeah. I suppose there were there were times in education. You know that, you know, I was not struggling, but you have to conform, don't you, to a certain way. You know, the academics there, the curriculums there, and my learning style was perhaps a little bit off center to that. And you know, some, there were some times when I'd be like, God, geez, I just want to do something a little bit different. You know, sitting there just being talked to for a whole day was just not really firing me up.
1: So, do you find that you learn by doing?
0: Hugely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I enjoyed that. And, and it was really bizarre because yeah, we, I went through like, my junior school, my middle school, and then eventually my senior school. And even my grades, my grades were okay. You know, there were nothing to, you know, I was never going to be um, the next scientist or the next person that designed something amazing. But equally, you know, I was a midway. But then my last year, I did it as like a end of year, you have to do a, like exams and it be very factual. I did it in a way that which was really interesting for me, which I look back. I was already starting my career in a sports shop. So I was doing like a weekend part-time job. And then I did my sixth form, which was, I did it as an NVQ. Now, what was interesting is the NVQ was assignment-based. And I literally, kid you not, I achieved every assignment at distinction and eventually got the highest grade at the end, which was a distinction. And when I look back, no kidding. the reason why I look back and I remember why it worked so well for me is because I was so much better at talking about what I was doing rather than someone go, tell me the exact answer to this, this, and this. And I, yeah. you know, it, was, it was definitely that. Doing that activist in me, you know, having to go and learn by mistakes and just feel it more than actually trying to tell it.
1: So that format, it kind of liberated you.
0: Oh, hugely.
1: And it allowed you to be you. Yeah. I'd say,
0: out of all of my, what, 16, well, you're not in school for 16, but what, good 12 years of school, my last year was the one I was like, I was really buzzing. I was in it, I was fully immersed, you know, I was going home, I was doing extra. I couldn't wait for the next assignment because it was like, right, what, how am I going to? because it was a business studies one, it just linked so nicely to everything I was doing, custom service, teams and everything. And I was like, this was great. You know, I really enjoyed it.
1: So when you got out of high school, senior school, what, what did you call
0: it? Yeah, like senior school. Yeah, we have like a junior, middle and senior, yeah.
1: Senior, yeah. So when you got out of
0: senior, did you know what you wanted to do? Not exactly. Okay. I knew what I didn't want and I didn't want to then do that route of college and university. I was like, right, I want to get out there and work i want to start carving out a career for myself um, yeah i was highly into my sports you know i was a young age into my football now i was now working in a sports shop so this this fitted really well and i then continued to then progress that so by the time i finished my studies and i got my distinction the manager then offered me the chance to come and work full-time with then the training to become like the next assistant manager and um i couldn't wait yeah i just grabbed it you yeah, know those chats at home you know Mom and dad were thinking it was going to be one route, but I was thinking another.
1: Yeah. So what kind of business was that initially?
0: That was a sports, uh, sports shop. Okay. So a retail sports shop.
1: Retail sports shop. So you did that. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your journey to, from there to get to where you are now as really one of the preeminent learning and development
0: leaders in the industry. So how did that journey come about? my early days in that sports shop i loved it and i got the training and development i became a store manager quite early on in my career which was fantastic you know and i thought wow you're feeling on top of the mountain here you know early 20s you're running of your keys, own shop set of keys yeah i've got my shop you know this is amazing yeah. and when i look back we used to have the sport reps come in so that like we'd have adidas and nike and they would come in and do training sessions and i found myself just getting really hooked in and once they'd gone, I'd almost replicate my own training sessions, you know, when people were like, when they were gone. And I used to love it. So we'd get new starters and I'd be like, I'm going to teach you the product, I'm going to do it. And I'd replicate And I really just felt so empowered giving back some knowledge to someone. So I suppose when I look back, it was there. It was telling me already, Tim, it was there, but I did not even recognize that. Um, and then I went, I mean,
1: So they'd come in and train and then you would take that and you'd create your own training yep. and deliver that yep. just on your own.
0: I'd get the team in, you know, for half an hour before we start. It'd be a Saturday and we'd do some product training. We'd get the energy fired up. So when we open those doors on a Saturday, our busy day, customers got the real bang. It was ready. We were, we were ready to kind of, you know, and actually gave them some knowledge about the trainers because we really wanted, anyone could go and buy a pair of trains, but we want to really offer that mm-hmm. that unique service. Um, so yeah, it was there early days. But then, yeah, my career path went through the management route and I thought, yeah. I wanted to go on eventually to be store manager and maybe an area manager. And I was really pushing those boundaries. And, and I moved around different retailers for quite some years and, you know, I grew in terms of bigger ones. I suppose my last real big kind of management role was in, I moved from sports retail into then fashion retail. So I went to a big, big fashion retailer, Next PLC, and I was there for 15 years. But what was interesting is out of those five years was that normal route. i had gone through the store level, got to store manager level. And what was interestingly, yet again, we, um, we had area trainers. So they would come around, you know, and just see that you're doing all your training and your mm-hmm. development, pool and, and everything. And um, we started to see that our store was being recognized. You know, we were getting excellent every time we were getting graded. And I remember the area trainer saying to me, look, you know, we could use you, Paul, to maybe go around some other stores and help do some training.
1: Okay. I'm getting it now.
0: It started there,
1: yeah. But how was your store different? If we walked into your location right your ecosystem was different than the other locations what was different what did senior management notice that was different that said paul's doing something different and it's consistently a different experience that he's providing for customers what was it
0: we didn't look, you know, i i didn't lose track that the people were the absolute number one asset in that building so if i ensured that every time that team come in they were motivated there was high energy That's going to ripple out to them performing the best they can in their job role, them delivering that excellent service to the customers. And and at the time, I was in a store called Kettering. That was a brand new store that opened, so it had all its challenges of a new store opening. But yeah, it had everything shiny and brand new. So we had to be super proud of what we got, and the team were just fantastic. You know, we got that open. You know, we had a lot of press in the town because it was a brand new store, creating job opportunities. So I was just like buzzing to think, "This is mine." So I never wanted (laughs) to lose track that. All these people, I can't do this without this amazing group of managers and then also staff as well. And um, yeah. yeah, we just tried to make it the best place we could to kind of work in. And I think, you know, it sounds cliche, but it's true. We focused on the people and then the results became the second. But actually, it was that that kind mm-hmm. of focus. We knew we had to achieve KPIs. We knew we had to achieve targets and efficiencies. Yeah. But we needed to get that team right. And, um, and training, training was at the forefront. You know, how we created that culture in there of people being able to be themselves and feeling natural and authentic was important to me. I wanted people to come into a place where they could be the true self.
1: I say this all the time, Paul, that we have a choice. We can do culture by design or we can do it by default. And it seems to me that you learned this principle very early on and that you were extremely deliberate everywhere you went to nurture and cultivate and shape the culture that you wanted. And you never let it go to chance. It was
0: never culture by default. Is that accurate? Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, every new store I moved into, every role I went into, it was all about right. How do we make this amazing? How do we how do we take what we've got, make it even better, make the people even better? And you know, my biggest kick, yeah, you know what, we could smash targets and achieve it. My biggest kick was seeing people in my store go off and be promoted. And they went off, you know, and they'll, they'll remember, you know, and, and weirdly, you know, weirdly, I was in LinkedIn the other day and we connected with someone and he absolutely spooked me because, you know, this was Kettering store was what? Jesus, going back now four years. That's at least a good 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And this person connects on LinkedIn because I saw he's in the, in the town where I live. And he messaged me and said, hi, Paul, we know each other. I work for you at Kettering. You know, and I was like, wow, <laughs> where's that come from? Yeah. So I'm always a big believer that you, people always remember, were not they, how you made them feel. They do. They do. For a long time. Another
1: observation that I have is that you lead as if you have no power. And I don't know if you think about that consciously or not, but that's my observation of you. Even if you have positional power, even if there's a power differential, even if you know, you're in the managerial role, that would be a pattern that I would point to throughout your career. I don't know. Have you thought about that? I think you wear your power lightly. I think you hold your opinions lightly, and that makes you accessible. It makes you open. It makes you approachable as a human. Is that something that you think about, or do you think that was more natural? Was is that in your disposition and your makeup?
0: Yeah, do you know, I don't. I wouldn't say I actively think about it, Tim. You know, until someone yeah. kind does of it. But yeah, I, yeah, spot on. You know, it's um, I don't go chasing for the titles. Yeah, that's not. But I look at people and go you're a person for a reason and, and underneath all of those layers, you've got some great things that just need maybe sometimes unlocking, you know, and pulling out. Yeah. And I'm always really, you know, especially I suppose from a coaching point of view, now that I do a lot of one-to-one coaching, I love getting people to really just pull it all back and go, yeah, do you know what? Maybe I'm being clipped by what other people want me to be or don't want me to be and and empowering them and but challenging them to go, well, what is it you truly want to be? Mm-hmm. Cause you can be whatever you want to be. And you know, some of those things that people have gone on to in Jardine through the coaching is just you know, phenomenal that they wouldn't have known what was possible until they've had some interactions. But yeah, you're right. I just go and do what I do.
1: That's I, what you do. So yeah. take us through the rest of the journey to get to Jardine and then help the listeners understand what you do now and what this organization does. What does Jardine do? How'd you get there?
0: Yeah. So through Next, you know, um, it was the area training and there was a vacancy came up. I remember she said to me, she went, Paul, I know your career path is all that management, but what you reckon getting into the L&D role? And um yeah, I remember just thinking, yeah, this could be my next, my second curve of my career. So um yeah, I got into Next and um, learned everything from my facilitation skills, you know, started to really get really passionate about understanding psychology and behaviours and attitudes and yeah, really got me fired up. So that really got me going. I was there, you know, for that. That was a good 10 years in the L&D world. And then, um, yeah, just wanted to Pushed the ceiling off a bit, really, Tim. I thought, right, I need to start looking for something bigger. And there was an opportunity at Jardy Motors Group to head up all their leadership development. So, yep, four years ago, applied and uh, came into this role. And uh, yeah, just the autonomy, I suppose, what I was looking for. I've got it here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. and I remember my HR director said, Here it all is, Paul. This is what it looks like today. It's up to you to go and create what you want it to be, which, as you can imagine, <laughs> that was me, like a kid in a sweet shop. Here we go
1: so let's talk about when you started out so here you are at jardine and by the way just explain what do you do what does this organization do
0: yeah so we're uh, we're a motor we're automotive industry so jardine motors we're based in the uk but we're part of obviously the bigger jardine matheson who are out there obviously in hong kong so we're a small little section of that business but um underneath that i say small you know we're dealing with brands like mclaren and aston martin We've got Ferrari, Audi, Jaguar, Land Rover. So a real premium luxury product that we've kind of got there. But, um, you know, really deep-rooted, valued, people-centric organization, which is fantastic. We always quoting our CEO always says, we're a people business, not a car business. I love that. And it's a great place to kind of be because it is bred for everybody. Yeah. We could be selling everything, but it's the people that will make that business, whatever it is. The product's just the product.
1: So when you came into this role, Paul, how did you look at the organization and begin to approach it and say, ah, this is where I need to start. How did you assess everything and kind of prioritize it and say, this is where we need to start. This is where the priority is,
0: because that's a lot to get your arms around. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And as things I knew I had that autonomy, I was just fired up. So I was like, right. I remember it was the August. I spoke with my HR director, Claire, and said, right, you know, just, and just want some time to get out in the business. I want to understand from the director's point of view. I want to understand from the people point of view. I want to know what really drives this business, what's in place at the moment, what's happening, and then equally what's not happening so we can make sure that everything we're delivering is aligning to the culture of the business, the strategy, the focus. So actually then it can fit, you know, kind of hand in glove. So um, yeah, it was lots of meetings of all the different brand directors, which was great. You know, I got to them know that their personalities, what they really wanted. Someone that was heading up the leadership development, I went out and sat in all the modules that were being set up and run, and you know really got close to the people. You know, and after the modules, I'd say to them, you know, yeah, we've got this set up at the moment. What do you think we need to do? How do we need to do it? What do we need to do to make it even better? Because I just knew that I wanted the people to influence where we were then going to take the next part of the journey. And then it got to about so that was August. Got to about December. I'd evaluated everything, and then I sat down with my HRD and I said, Here we go. Here's my evaluation. This is where we're currently at. Okay. If we want to take this now to the next level, this is now what we need to do with the programs. You know, we need to ramp out. So, you know, leadership programs were ran predominantly inside a dealership boardroom. I'd turn up and see all these the ladies and gents in their shirt, their tie, around a lovely big oak table, but they've got a lovely glass window. So every time they turned up to a leadership program, they looked out the glass window and their mind was just going, work, 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 you know, so that they were being distracted and that was it. We needed to get out. We needed to go off site. We needed to do it properly. You got to move. Yeah. Get out of the venue, get out of the premises, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We needed to make it feel this was a special place for them to be, time where they could come really self reflect and really understand and immerse themselves into these leadership programs and these modules. So then they could go back to work and think about how to apply it. So, yeah, we changed them all, but we, we not only changed the venue, we just that game changer, you know, of I can just turn up in casual clothes, that mindset shift was huge. And then we looked at the psychology that we were building into these modules and and really fired up that kind of learning to be very experiential. Because we're so limited in a room, you know, where you've got a table that you can't move. And, you know, I'm very much when we get in that room, we're we're off the chair, we're doing stuff. Yeah, so people have that real kind of, "That, that hit me, what was that all about? You know, what's going on here? Why am I thinking and feeling differently all of a sudden? Okay. You just said
1: something, Paul, that I think we need to listen to. We need to go back. You said, so when you're doing training and you've got a group, you're off the chair a good amount of time. Yeah. Right. You've come to the conclusion that that's what the experience needs to be like. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that because a lot of times we're used to these very didactic experiences and we're sitting down and we're being talked to and that's not your approach at all. So tell us a little bit about what it's like to be in a training session with you.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm um, yeah, you know, when we get in that room, I know straight away my biggest objective is to build that rapport. People will be turning up. They'll definitely have that little bit of imposter going on. They'll be worried, they'll have anxieties, they'll be nervous, but there'll equally some that are perhaps bouncing around. A bit similar to me. Can't wait to get in there. You know, what are we gonna learn? What the excitement? So there's always that nice moment that we really just break that ice and, mm-hmm. you know, have that kind of talk and discussion and and you know, build some humor in there so people realize that hey, strip the titles off. I'm just a human. I'm here, you know, just kind of obviously helping them and and get them to realize that this is their day. You know, that's yeah. important for them. And then we'll start some activities and we'll get some real kind of experiential activities going. That whether that's to build that leadership skills in someone and really and so. My objective is every time we've got these activities going on, what we've got there, Tim, is real-life playback scenarios. You know, none of this kind of, let's pretend we're in this situation. You know, if there's a situation... We're
1: not doing hypotheticals. We're not doing case studies. We're
0: doing real stuff. Right? That's it. So at the moment that someone's reacted to something because we've put a bit of pressure on with an activity, for instance, you know, we build... I've got one that we separate them into four rooms. It's called Houston, We've Got a Problem. You know, and there they are, immersed, thinking that they're trying to get themselves back to planet Earth and on this space shuttle. And then you curveball them and they've got to build something. And then straight away, you watch the team dynamics in that pressure. Who takes that leader role? Who then suddenly becomes the potentially the command and control? Or who can step back and work out what the strengths are in the team to actually achieve that main objective? And then by the time we then come back in the room and they've all had that kind of epiphany and paradigm shift in themselves, then we take some time just to sit on the chair and go, right, let's just see what happened there. How does that align to my day-to-day job? They're thinking when you're under pressure. So everything has to talk back to what the object is, what the business objectives. is, but how are them as a leader? What impact did you have in that scenario? And let's now scale it up to when you're there in your day-to-day job. So I'm a very big believer because you know, I've, I've been there too many times, Tim. Everything sits up in the air, real high theory, and there's slide after slide after slide, and it's just overload. And the brain can only take so much, can't it? And then, yeah, yeah they'll always remember those touch points. When this happened to me in that room, that to me is where the magic kicks in.
1: Let's talk about, so I think it was last year, Paul, that you started, you shared with me that you started your high-performing teams program. Help us understand that program and what you're doing and how it's going and what what you've learned from that.
0: Every year we always do something quite different for the senior leaders. You know, We're, we're really, really invested at that top level should be getting that continuation of development, you know, because we always think about those grassroots levels. But so for our heads of business, our real directors, and we did a bit of a mindfulness session, you know, a good few years back. And then um, me and my HRD, we were talking, saying, like, What do we need to do? What would be really important for our real top level kind of bit of development? And I was really starting to do some research just around psychological safety. And I think, you know, the disruption of COVID really started to obviously have an impact. And um, we we're at that cusp of, getting ready to kind of almost reopen up the world again, kind of April, you know, 20, was it 20, mid-2021. But just in 2020, I thought, right, we could do some work here. And um, I've done a little bit of research in it. And then, yeah, I landed on leader factor. And I thought, okay, there's something going on here. So I got the book. You know, of course you do. you got to, you got to grab the book first and we read it. And then I got really hooked into it and I thought – This is really powerful stuff because we have got at the point where all our teams have had the biggest disruption ever. They're now remote. They're not in their dealerships anymore. The directors are trying to do stuff over teams. And when we come back, we need to realize that actually to create that high-performing team, everyone's got to get back and feel that sense of connected again. So this was important. So I then obviously went off and did the accreditation. We put a business case forward to our directors and said, look, this will be an important stage. And I think the big trick was for me is most leadership programs, you know, it's nice that you've got different people from different areas of the business. But this was one that we were going to go, we're going to take your you and your team and really go on this kind of creating high performing programs. It's going to be a one day, real face to face, kind of high energy, real thought provoking through the four stages, really kind of seeing what that looks like as we build through inclusion, learner, contributor and challenger. How that can apply to how we're all coming back together, but then we're going to build that in with actually the survey, and then from the survey we're going to come back after ninety days, and then we build in it. We call it ninety for ninety, so we've got a ninety-day follow-up in a ninety-minute virtual session. Ah, okay. We see what that power's had on that team and some of the results, and and that was That's been a really exciting time over twenty twenty-one because we have taken every director and their team on that journey. Mm. Paul, how do
1: you create one of the concepts that we've been talking about with L&D professionals around the world lately is cultural flatness. And what that means, you alluded to it just a few minutes ago, is that when you're in the room, you are removing the obstacles and the barriers that come with title and position and authority and status, and you're getting rid of that. And you're creating this culturally flat environment where people can really interact with candor with honesty they can engage in, with even more vulnerability do you have any other suggestions about how to create that cultural flatness or anything that you can think of that you do
0: i think the one thing that when we built into the when i build it into the day module is like i said first thing that they come into is we hit them hard with an exercise and there's nothing about title in there it's about getting a team of people Um, it's a bit fun. It's blindfolded. They're around a table and they've got to work out the objectives through that power of communication. And actually what we then do is there is no titles in there. It's all about the strength within the team. There is a little bit of a default, which is quite funny because they always then turn to the director as being that leader. But then we can unpick it afterwards and talk about, was anyone really wanting to challenge some of the decisions that were made in that activity? Who didn't have a voice? Why didn't you have a voice? And we really start to almost straight away from the start, get people to realise that titles are not a thing everyone can bring something special to those and actually the objective when you get to it is going to be more powerful by the sum of the people not by just that kind of one voice um and then what we do really quite quick after that the session done is i get everyone to really almost start thinking what's really important to them a value baseline i get them to really think about what's important to them stripping off what the expectations of the job role are but actually at the fundamental, if we were to take every core layer back of you, what does they, what are your real true values? Um, and we get them to really think about that. And we, we've got a whole long list of kind of different powerful words, and I get them to kind of really have a good look at the words, I really challenge them to think about five words that are really fundamentally important. And then one by one, we ask them to come up to the front of the room and just give everyone a bit of context to what's the why behind that word.
1: Well, give us an example of how this works. So five
0: words that each person picks, yeah, so there's about 30 odd words. I scatter them across the table, all loads of like business card words. And I said, right, just in your own space, let's keep some silence in the room. You know, so I want people to really stop for a minute, really reflect on only one thing that's most important is them. Mm-hmm. And just think about, you know, maybe uh, values from your past life that maybe have obviously contributed to how you are today, things that are really important to you. So there'll be words on there like honesty, trust, empowerment, fulfillment, learning, or all the different kind of, you know, Value-driven words. Um, They'll write down five and ask them just to write a small bit of context. Why is that word important to you? Because it don't matter to much. It's got to be important to you. And then while we've got that room open, and we don't really have any tables in the room. You know, we just have literally a horseshoe of chairs. You know, so we're really just opening up that room to everyone talking. Um, and then one by one, I get them to come to the front. You know, and don't get me wrong, people are going to be a bit like, oh, yeah, a bit nervous, a bit out like my comfort zone, and it's like, yeah. but it, it'll be fine. What I find it does though, Tim, is the team naturally come together. support that person at the front and they want to hear that person's story and not one session i've ever had that moment in where everyone in the room has gone do you know what i never knew that about you but i feel now i know you on such a different level that when we work together it just snaps all that kind of whatever barriers were there whatever different views or opinions there's now a tangible i really know the true you more than i've ever done before i know i know exactly now what really triggers you what really works for you you know, so when we are together in a team or when we're in a, a one-to-one situation and that session is quite powerful. It really is quite powerful because even even a director said to me, you know, he said, look, he said, I, know, I do presentations in front of bigger crowds than this. But he said, you're asking me now to really show that vulnerability, <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's right. but it's quite enlightening and empowering because, you know, and even in the evaluations, it's one of those exercises that people have said. Without that exercise, I don't think we'd have really been able to have moved forward where we did at the end of the day, which was going right. When we look at that team survey and some of the comments that are in there from everybody, people go, actually, I can see where that's now come from.
1: What evidence do you see, Paul, as you're having these sessions of people having breakthrough moments, light bulb moments, revelatory moments where they've learned something? Right, that's very important. They've had an insight shake loose that they haven't had before. Where do you see that? How do you see that? Because I imagine that you do when you're having these sessions.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think what you see is you see almost it's the conversation that starts to happen in the dynamics of that group, and people start to be a bit more honest Mm. around actually maybe how they're feeling in that team dynamics. But also they start to find there's a confidence in their voice they start to come up with different ideas. They start to maybe challenge a bit more or they have a bit more of an opinion because whereas before they're like, yeah, it's easy. Maybe I just sit here and, you know, I'm not sure where I come. You're holding back. Yeah, just hold back. Or where do I really fit in? You know, especially like within a team, there might be some silos within a team, you know, so it could be that certain part of that team might look after a certain area, certain function. So it can happen, but suddenly you just see that whole shoulders drop They become more at ease with themselves, but more at ease with people around them. And I think it's the final exercise of the day that we do that, you know, we talk about that challenge of safety. I get all of them to actually go and give each other some one to one feedback. And actually, there's no fear in there. They're, they're, hierarchies off, you know, and ready to have those open conversations. And actually, when I watch a team come together, when we give them their survey, without those little exercises, they wouldn't have got to where they get to because what they're all ready to do is go, yeah, do you know what? what can we now do as a team to really push forward? Let's get innovative. Let's start thinking of some different ways of doing it. And teams have definitely come back from that afternoon when I give them a good hour or two going, we've got so many great ideas now of how we want to move this team. But some of those ideas would definitely have been closed in Mm -hmm. 100% because people weren't ready to kind of embrace that and talk about, or they they would have already convinced themselves straight away that, oh, no one wants to hear my idea. Yes, we do.
1: So Paul, are you seeing long-term evidence that this is working? The teams are getting better?
0: Yeah. From survey result to, yeah, from the 90s, we've, we've seen roughly about 5% increase in just how those team feelings are around themselves. We're using our engagement survey as a good tracker as around well as that. So we want to see that because weirdly, what, and this, this is a real paradigm shift. Where we had obviously, this is a kind of big focus for it. And then when we use an external company for our engagement survey, it was in there. It said, you know what? inclusivity, all those areas of grip, but there are some areas of um, psychological safety that could be improved across the group. Mm -hmm. That was big, Tim, because there there was the hook. You know, it's like, right, let's really do this. And directors are saying, you know, they're seeing their teams lead their teams more proactively now. They're coming forward now, not waiting for those decisions to be made. They're actually ready to now come to me with decisions and willing to challenge. You know, over the last, I think the last two years, we, we had to change so much that, People are questioning, going, well, what is our real why in Jardine Motors Group? And, you know, and the directors, even in the sessions, have said, yeah, actually, we perhaps need to go back to that as well. So we're on a real cultural shift at the moment, Tim, where we're revamping what our why is, mm. you know, but making sure that's a clear message across the group because that's what's sat underneath that engagement survey. As our staff were saying, I know what to do, I know how to do it, but I want to know why we do it. Um, so we're really putting those strategies in. And, and yeah, team performance, you know, Definitely a contribute to last year. We had, we had a record-breaking year as a performance. You know. Can't connect that 100%, but definitely there would have been something in there. And the year where we all came back from two years of absolute disruption, it got teams back together to unite. Um, and we're not going to stop there. You know, this year now is about, we're now rolling that out with every single dealership and their senior management team in there because we want this language to now really filter through everybody. It's pretty incredible. What's
1: changed from the pandemic, Paul? that you can put your finger on? What's changed in the organization? What's changed in people's expectations? What's changed in the way that in what people want that you've noticed just based on the last two years that we've been through? What do you see?
0: I think for us it's just people now just wanna to feel like they're really part of something. We've gone through so much change, you know, whether it's digitalization, you know, transitioning, and we've seen parts of our business you know, have now sold off. And why have we done that? How are we now moving forward? And I think people are just asking that big question now is, what does this mean now going forward for Jardine Motors? And, and that's what we're now starting to answer so we can give back to our people. And they're really wanting to feel that value again and really understand how their role really fits into all the cogs, the bigger cogs of what we're trying to achieve.
1: So it kind of comes back to finding meaning, finding purpose, feeling that yeah. right—the yeah, deep absolutely. why that you talked about earlier.
0: Definitely, yeah, and I think you know we've seen it. Maybe some people have questioned why, just even outside of the work world, they've had time to reflect and think about what's really important for them. And you know, is this the year of the great resignation? As it got coined, um, you know, yeah. we felt that. You know, because some people have thought, yeah, maybe a change of careers needed. Do I need to be doing what I did before the pandemic? And now we're coming back outside of that. But then equally, you know, other people are really challenged us going, yeah, it's fired me up to want more. You know, I want to be developed and I want to start pushing on in my career. And um, so I think there's so many different ways people are assessing their own situation right now. But, you know, I think for us, it's just getting right back to let's establish that purpose of why. Let's get back to thinking about how we we get our premium and luxury kind of brand really out there with our customers, our people. And we really are all behind that one message.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's absolutely fantastic. Well, Paul,
1: I you've given us so much to think about, so many insights. Uh, <laughs> um, it's, it's just amazing. And I have to say, you really are electric. You have your own generator. And it really... <laughs> but But here's the thing. You can't fake that. You can't engage in surface acting. This is an interesting concept. Surface acting means that you're trying to generate emotions that you don't actually feel. And sometimes people do that. For example, have you ever been into a retail, you go into a retail location and someone comes to help you and they start surface acting and they start, they put a smile on and they act as if they're really excited to help you, but you know, they're not. Yeah. That's what that means. And you, you can do that for a little while, but it's not really, you can't keep doing it. We get it right it's not lost on us you because humans have a natural ability to smell intent mm-hmm. and if the intent's not there you don't pass the smell test but the thing that i <laughs> the thing that i love about you paul is that you're genuine you have so much so much passion so much concern so much genuine interest in the people that you're working with that they can't help but feel that And I think that may account for part of the reason that you're able to build rapport so quickly. And so I just want to compliment you on that. Your energy is contagious, your passion, your dedication. It all comes back to people, right? The employee experience drives the customer experience. As we say, the EX drives the CX. And I think that you have proved that hypothesis over and over and over again. Right. So I just want to say thank you. And I'm so glad that we've been able to have you share some of your experience and insight with so many other folks because what you're doing is such a case study. In the midst of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. you've made progress with engagement, with psychological safety, with the business results overall. Right. It's pretty incredible that in that context, you could move forward with that. Uh, i'm just amazed
0: and you know, i'm grateful for the culture that i'm in as well you know the culture allows me to just be me yeah you know and i remember i remember when i joined Jardine motors I, I came with one vow to myself and i said i'm just going to be me if it works fantastic let's just enjoy what this kind of brings my way if it doesn't then so be it i can find another culture that was ready to kind of scoop me up and embrace me but you know what Jardine motors has allowed me to do what i do in my authentic style and we're seeing just what the results are you know and how we've grown what we've grown in four years you know i'm just super proud of being able to go and kind of go yeah i can say i part of that
1: yeah well as we say about psychological safety it's not expensive to be yourself <laughs> that's what you're experiencing right
0: yep too easy
1: <laughs> that's fantastic well i can't thank you enough paul thanks for being with us on this episode and thanks for what you do
0: thank you thank you for all the learning it's been great honestly keep them coming
1: Thanks for joining me today on the Culture by Design podcast. Be sure to subscribe and listen to new episodes every week. And if you'd like to see more of the work we're doing, go to leaderfactor.com.